We thank you for your blessings upon us. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to worship you today, both in the singing, the preaching, the special music, the time of invitation, the offering. Lord, that each part of this service would bring glory to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be dismissed to Children's Church, Tyler's Churches. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. And we're going to read a rather long passage this morning. I'd like us to read all of Hebrews chapter 2 and into a few verses of Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, just want to uh, remind uh, you that uh, this is the last Sunday before our missions conference, Thursday night. By God's grace, Brother and Mrs. O'Barrow will be here. Brother Larry O'Barrow pastors the Bible Baptist Church there in San Diego, California. And he'll be preaching for us uh, this coming week. And, and, of course, our missions conference is a time that we set aside to ask God by faith to show us what he wants us to do in this coming year. And uh, missions is a big part of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, in fact, our church does better uh, putting money into missions than many charitable organizations do uh, sending their, their funds to whatever their designated charity. And on top of that, uh, our, our missions giving, we still maintain the building here and all the things that go on here at Open Door, reaching out into our community as well. And so uh, uh, we try to be very careful, but I, I want us to understand that we don't want this missions conference to be just another missions conference. Uh, we want God to do some work in people's hearts, in people's lives. Amen. And uh, so let's just start reading in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, <coughs> excuse me, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will? For unto which of the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Starting in verse 7 again. That thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing 
that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise partook of the same, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who, through the fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Now, this passage that we read deals with just... So many things, and in fact, we've gone through this passage when we went through Hebrews, and it took several weeks to get through that, and we're not going to do that this morning by God's grace. But this morning, I I would like for us to just look at what the Bible says to, it's so easy to get distracted. By the way, guess when our final inspection is? Thursday. First day of the missions conference. And uh, so you need to be in prayer, but uh, uh, probably I will be camped out there at the building until the building inspector comes and walk him through. And by God's grace, uh, if he will pass the building on the inspection, uh, then the building will be reopened and we can start making plans to hold services at the Union Baptist Church in Brooklyn again. And, And so I want you to pray about that. 
pray that the inspector will only deal with the things that are on the violation sheet, not try to find new things. Amen? And uh, so, as we look at this, there's so many distractions. Uh, I, I can't tell you that that's not weighing on my mind. And, uh, and, and, and on Brother Newberger's as, as well, I'm sure, and everything else is going on. But we have to be careful because we have a missions conference. And actually, that missions conference is very, very important. It is one of the reasons God blesses our church is because in order to give, you have to have something to give. And God blesses those that give. But he's also the supplier of what we give. And if we were to take a profile of the average member of our church, we would find not many wealthy, not many well-to-do, not many that would even be listed as comfortable as far as the world is concerned. But I'll tell you what, God has done some amazing things through our little church and missions. And uh, we've already passed the million dollar mile marker last year. That's something to praise God about. But I don't know about you, but is anybody satisfied with just one million? No, they always want more. Talk to Mr. Trump. Amen. Uh, Let's ask God to do more through missions. Because what we're laying up is treasures in heaven. Amen? Uh, we're giving those things where it belongs. And, and we need to understand that we're, we're not just getting together so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we did. Because we didn't do anything. Jesus did. And so let's start here in verse 1 of chapter 2. And, and the context in chapter 1, of course is God's revelation through Jesus Christ, who is God. And because He is God, and because He uh, has called us as His servants, we ought to give the more earnest heed, and here's what we need to give the earnest heed to, to the things which we have heard. Now, I just want to remind you, how do you get faith? Faith cometh by, but we're to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. You know, one of the Pharisees' great problems was they thought they knew what was in the Bible. And so they took the next step. The great danger of growing in Christ and reading your Bible and really beginning to understand your Bible is thinking that you understand the Bible. Oh, I know that. How many times have you gotten into trouble? Oh, I know how to do this, and then messed it up. Has anybody else ever done that? Uh, I'll tell you, you got to keep going back and reviewing. We've got to understand that just because we do the right things doesn't mean they're right. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be because of our relationship with God. I've often wondered, and I've I've met some preachers over the years that would have 
had a great church and done great things whether Jesus was involved or not. Now, that's not because they didn't preach the Bible and things, but they had great administrative abilities and and great preaching abilities. and, And listen, they would have been successful no matter what they tried to do. But when God makes something successful, it's always just because of Him. If we could just take a check up this morning. Let's look through here. You see, it says that the word spoken by the angels was steadfast. God punished every disobedience to the word of God. How shall we escape, it says, if we neglect so great salvation? When is the last time? You just stopped and thank God for being saved. And remembered what He did in your life to bring you to that point to where you knew your sins were forgiven and you were on the road to heaven. See, we are conditioned and affected by the world in which we live. Our family, our friend, our unsaved people that we know... Before you were saved, chances are, if you went to church at all, you went to a kind of church that told you that salvation was the goal. Salvation was the uh, end of the field. Salvation was the greatest accomplishment that you could accomplish. How many of you remember that? And it's easy, once we are saved, to allow that kind of thinking to say, well, I am saved. Yeah, I can relax and shift into neutral. No, that doesn't, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You see, that's what the Bible says. If we neglect so great a salvation, why did Jesus save you today? Number one, because nobody else could. Amen? Number two, He saved you to serve. Salvation is not the goal. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is not the solution in, in, uh, to what you're supposed to do with your life. It's the beginning. It's the source. God has saved me to live for Him. Amen? Amen? Am I in the right church this morning? God wants His salvation to be reflected in everything we do. And we can neglect that salvation even though we rest on our blessed assurance and we look for the blessed hope of Jesus' return we got to understand something. It's not about us. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews goes on in this whole passage here. It, it says that, uh, verse 6, But in one certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? He's quoting the Psalms here. You see, we've got to give the more earnest thing heed to the things that we've heard. 
the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. Here's how faith works, is we hear and we believe enough to do that. That's how faith works. Now, something is coming up with the missions conference. Do what God wants you to do. Amen? And by the way, somebody coined this phrase uh, concerning missions many, many years ago. I think it may have been uh, a, a preacher named Fred Donaldson who said, The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. And yet, many of those same preachers who quoted that would not give a dime to home missions and send all their money to foreign missions. Now, if you know me, why can't we do both? Amen? It was like the story of a Muslim man. He was trying to... I said, what does God do with your sin? He said, well, let me tell you a story. He said... A man was walking with his son and he saw another little child who didn't have a father and he didn't have shoes. And so he took the shoes off of his son's feet and put them on the feet of the son who had no father and had no shoes. And Allah said, ah, that is good. I will forgive your sins. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's the difference between your God and my God. My God doesn't tell me that my son should suffer because someone else is suffering. My son's, my God gives me enough to go buy a pair of shoes for the kid uh, that needs them and keep the shoes on my own son's feet. Amen? You see, God does it all the way around. We, we live in a world where we're told there's only so much. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have to worry about how much there is if you're concerned with God. Because five loaves and two fishes took care of 5,000. Plus women and children. Amen? Do not allow yourself to be conditioned. And this is how we do it. Is we listen, we hear it everywhere we go. Global warming, you're going to destroy the world. Uh, we went over this when we went through creation. They've got it all wrong. God already destroyed the world by a flood and he's never going to do it again. So global warming is not working, my friends. Uh, there will be global warming when you get Second Peter chapter 3. Because he's going to let the elements melt with the fervent heat as the old heavens and the old earth, the present ones pass away and he makes a new one. You see, they say the first world was destroyed by fire and an asteroid and all the dinosaurs died. No, flood, water. Now the world we live in now, it's going to be destroyed by a flood. No, fire. The world's always got it wrong. Always. So why do we listen to him? Because you can't walk down the street and not hear it. You can't show up at work and not hear it. And so what you have to do is you have to give the more earnest heed to the things that are written in this book. And ask yourself the question, am I doing it just because I'm supposed to be doing it? 
Or am I doing it because of the great salvation wherewith Jesus saved me? That's what Paul meant in the book of Philippians when he said, work out your salvation. It was not make a deal with God so you can get saved. It's let your salvation work. Let it accomplish things in your life. And he goes through and we have all the records here of the signs and wonders and miracles that were done. And people today still cry. I I just want to see a sign. I want God to prove. Listen, the proof is in the Word. But God's still changing lives today. Is your life being changed because of the salvation you claim to possess? If it is, good. If it isn't, bad. Because God wants to use your life as a testimony to His goodness. And if we neglect that great salvation, we're the ones that are going to suffer. Because God has intended for us to be those beacons and to show forth. And now we're given the example of Jesus. I love verse 9. It's just one of those phrases that that just catches in my mind and And really, the whole reason for the sermon this morning is I started out with this phrase, but we see Jesus. You know, we focus on so many things. When's the last time we focused just on Jesus? He saved us. Amen? How many would... Share the testimony and say, you know, I've had some very uncomfortable things happen in my life over the last month, let's just say. Some things that really put some pressure on the schedule. Some things that put some burdens on my heart. How many would say, yeah, I've been there. I, I think most of us would agree to that. But we see Jesus. You see, Jesus had some pressure put on him. Amen. We'll be talking about the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. But it tells us here in verse 9, he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. You see, there's been a great controversy in some worlds. How can Jesus be God and die? Well, it's very simple. God made him lower than the angels. He made him a man after the seed of Abraham. He identified with us as human beings in every way that a human being could be identified with. And someone says, well, what happened to the God things? And uh, you get into Charles Wesley and and some of the perverse doctrines that, that Jesus became less than God so he could become a man, and that's not true. He just simply covered up and hid from us His glory so that He could walk with us. You have to understand what kind of humility that would be. Jesus is God. He is worshipped as God. He is the Creator. He spoke One word in the garden. They said, he asked the question, whom seek ye? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell down on the ground. He told Peter, he said, I could call 10,000 angels. I mean, 10,000 legions of angels, I'm sorry. and, And they would deliver me. He said, but I've got to suffer. The next time life gets uncomfortable with you in, in your situation, and I promise you something's going to happen between now and the missions conference. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind the reason the inspection is on Thursday is just to keep things rolling and occupied until, uh, and you pray for your preacher. And pray for the inspection too, amen? But we, we have to understand that these things happen and we get our eyes off Christ and we put them on things. Look at verse 10. For it became him, that means it fitted him, it, it was beautifying to him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons Unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Sorry, sufferings. You see, it's summed up here in verse 18, and we'll we'll pick up some of this between here and there in a moment. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them. That are tempted. That word, succor, means to bring military aid. It it means to strengthen, to protect, to deliver. Uh, It's used in your Bible where David grew faint and one of the brothers of Goliath thought to do David in in his latter days. And there's a fellow that showed up and he succored David. He killed David the giant's brother. And David was protected and he was delivered. And God wants to deliver you. He wants to deliver me. We we spend so much time fighting temptation and fighting sin in our own lives and we should resist those things. But instead of fighting, how about relying on Jesus? Let him do the fighting. Do you think Jesus would do a better job of keeping you out of temptation than you could? Amen? Do you think he would do a better job of protecting you than you could? I just I just hate this picture. It's been painted so many times of... Grabbing the sword of the Spirit and fighting spiritual warfare. That's not biblical, my friend. You know what this sword is for? It's for fighting me. And when I get rid of me, then I can be still enough to hide behind Jesus. And the battles I can't win, he will win. We fight the wrong battles so many times. 
It's not about you and what you can do. It's about the great salvation wherewith he has saved us. It's not neglecting that salvation. It's allowing that image that Christ has painted to be impressed upon us. I I love that song. I mean, uh, sometimes the Lord has to turn up the heat. But what he is trying to do is to let people see Jesus in our own lives. And this is what this passage is talking about here. It says that in, that he was made perfect through sufferings. So often people say, well, you, you don't understand what I've been through. And you know what? There's no way I can understand what you've been through. Because I'm not you. And if I told you some of the things I've gone through, you'd stand there and look at me and go, so what? Because they don't affect you. You know the difference between a bad event and a crisis, right? A bad event is when it happens to someone else. A crisis is when it happens to you. Hello? Reality check. You see, what you've been through does not determine the level of disobedience God will accept to His Word. Because Jesus has already been through more than anybody in this room, all of us collectively could have gone through. He's already been there. That's what this passage is about. And so it's not so important. Again, this is psychobabble is what I call it. Uh, They call it psychology. Uh, What you've been through, what you've experienced, how hurt you are, is not the important thing. The important thing is, no matter where you find yourself, Jesus is willing to find you. And He's willing to pick you up. And look at what this next verse says. For both He that sanctifieth, that's God, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are all of one. God's the one that does the work. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, I'll tell you, I understand what those words say. But I really wish I understood more what those words mean. It says, Jesus is not ashamed to call me. His brother. You know, someone came up with this, uh, and really it's not original to any one person, but the verse of the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? We know that verse. Have you ever met somebody that had a problem with that verse? Well, I really haven't sinned that much. Well, this is a little scenario I like to give. Okay, let's, let's say 
that you were so good that you only sinned one sin a day on average. Some days you got two, but most of the time, a couple of days you got none, but average, just one a day. There ain't be anybody said, oh, pastor, you're talking about me. Because you just added your other sin right there. Lying, pride, I mean. Well, that would only be 365 and a quarter sins a year, right? In 10 years, 3,650-some? Do you get the idea? It's a lot of sin. And Jesus is still not ashamed to call me his brother. Ought to be. But you know something? He saves me, but he sanctifies me. That's what this verse says. That means he wipes my record clean. But the word sanctify comes from the base word holy. It doesn't mean just clean. It means clean for a purpose. And that purpose, look what it is. Verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the... Where did that come from? This is a book to the Hebrews. Oh, the church is God's plan for all saved people. For this dispensation, if you'll allow me to use that word, in which we live. It's all through, for, and by the church. This is the place where we declare the goodness of God. This is where we sing praise. I I hope you sang those songs. Our great Savior. Hallelujah. I just feel like we ought to stop and sing that fifth verse that we missed. Uh, uh, But we're going to keep moving. But we sing those songs. And you need to remember when you're singing, you're not singing for your edification. You're singing in order to worship and extol the name of Jesus Christ, which is acceptable To God the Father. It says, and again, I will put my trust in Him. So many people, raise a hand. I've had some difficult things happen. Did you put your trust in Him first? Or did you start worrying about how you're going to take care of that thing? Okay, it's so easy. It's so easy to rely on me. I know so many things. Get to know me. I'm really smart. No, that's not the case at all. That's what we think of ourselves now, isn't it? I never will forget the words of our former mayor. He said, we can handle this. Talking about 9-11. said, that's not true. But I'll tell you what, God can. And I'm going to depend on Him. 
You see, it says, I will put my trust in Him. And what's the next one says? And again, behold the children which God hath given me. That means we need to be busy about the job of evangelism both here at home and all around the world. For as much as the children are the partakers of the flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same that through death He might destroy him that had the power over death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How many of you remember going to a church where the preacher said, if you don't do what I say, you're going to go to hell. Listen, if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, that will be the place of your eternal destiny. Hell is not a club to beat you over the head to make you do what I think you ought to do or to follow church dogma. Hell is the only option that is open for one who refuses the great salvation that Jesus has given us. We still preach on hell here. This year has been about faith. But the only way you can escape the eternal damnation of hell is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this is talking about here. Jesus has destroyed him that hath the power over death. He has not given us a relationship built on bondage, but on love. He is able to succor them. He is able to deliver us. He gives the call of the Calvary coming over the hillside to protect us. If we'll only trust Him to do that, instead of standing in our own strength, in our own merits. You see, we get down here to chapter 3, and it says, Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. You see, the author here of this passage starts out in chapter 2 telling us that we must take more earnest heed. We must take earnest heed lest we let these things that we know slip. Talking about the Word of God. Talking about His change in our lives. Talking about the great salvation And we're going to run into difficult times and we're going to be tested and we're tried and distracted. But we see Jesus. He's already been there and done that. He will deliver you if you'll hide behind Jesus instead of standing out there in the front. You see, it's not your job to lead. It's your job to follow. Because Jesus can take the hit. He already has. You can't. That's why we fail. And then we get down to chapter 3, and it says, we need to consider Jesus. We need to consider His position as our high priest, as the apostle, the teacher of our profession. Everything we know about being saved comes from Jesus. And it talks about His faithfulness. How that Jesus fulfilled every duty that God gave Him. 
He fulfilled over 600 prophecies from the birth in Bethlehem until his resurrection. The statistical impossibility of that is so far beyond that it would be hard to even come up with a number that big. And yet, every one of those prophecies was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And the fact that all of them were fulfilled in the time and in the order that they were prophesied in the Bible would be enough to convince any reasonable person that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh. If you want proof, it's out there. But you know why people won't believe it? It's because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart. You know what? You cannot convince something, someone, of something they don't want to believe. Just read what all the pollsters are saying about the last election. There was a reason why they could not find those numbers before the election revealed it, because they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to hear it. And now they're trying to figure out why they missed it. Well, it's real easy. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. If you don't want to believe it, you're not going to believe it. And that's the way a lot of people are with the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to believe because, let me tell you something, believing in Jesus demands certain things from you. It demands an omission of who and what you are. A sinner on your way to hell with no hope. Unless you're there, Jesus won't save you. Once you are saved, he saved you to serve. He saved you to live a life that brings glory to his name. And that's why this passage here talks about his faithfulness and fulfilling everything. Verse 6 says, But Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Now, if you would just stop there. You might think that your salvation depends on you holding something firm to the end, and that's not what it says at all. If you'll read the rest of the chapter, and we just do not have time to do that today, the rest of this chapter talks about a rest for the people of God. It talks about entering into that rest, and that idea goes the whole way through chapter 4 as well. How that the children of Israel missed out on that rest. That's why they had to wander 40 years in the wilderness. You see, the only way I can hold that confidence firm until the end, and the rejoicing, those two things, how do I hold those? Well, let's go back to the beginning. That's where the answer is. It's giving earnest heed so that nothing slips. It's remembering the great salvation wherewith he saved me. Should that not give me confidence in rejoicing? Amen. The fact that Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother, that he has chosen me to be one of his servants, he has chosen you. Say, how can I know if I'm chosen? Very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen.
You say, but, uh, but life is so difficult sometimes. Hey, do you remember Sunday school this morning? Really didn't plan it this way, but the difference between Jacob and Joseph? Joseph lived a life that by all means was miserable and terrible. The most important years of his life was spent as a slave. And yet, what was his testimony? We didn't read the verse. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Jacob, if I be deprived of my children, I'm deprived. Few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. See, there's, there's a choice that you have to make. If you want to hold this joy, this rejoicing, and this confidence firm unto the end, you have to rest in who Jesus said He is. Now, when we talk about resting, it's Jesus who does the work, not you. Who did the work of saving you? I love trying to express this to people. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. When a baby is born, the baby doesn't work. Mama works. When you're born into God's family, you don't work. God works. And that great salvation is meant to be broadcast to the world in which we live. Because Jesus is not ashamed to call anyone who calls upon his name. But we live in a world where people, like that poor misguided fellow I met on the subway, God told me to be a rapper for Jesus. And people tell me I have talent. Well, I heard him. And I've had to listen to some of those rappers in their music, whatever they call it, uh, playing in cars and stuff. It, I, I'm sorry, when you measure him up to them, he has no talent. He lives in a fantasy land. You know how you get out of fantasy land? You have to have a dose of reality. Faith makes you do certain things. Jesus was meant to be praised in the church, not breaking the law in a subway car. By the way, he didn't when he finished his rap, it was, I hope this blessed you, and if you have any money, you can bless me. You know, excuse me. That's not what this book is about. I'm not making this up. I talked to the guy this week. It's crazy. The things that people will blame on this book, and yet the simplest things, we let them slip. We forget what a great salvation He has given us. We forget what a great responsibility we have as being the brothers of Jesus Christ. You see... He's given us a confidence. He's given us a rejoicing. And we can hold that firm to the end no matter what happens because Jesus has already done the work. Now, my friend, if that's not the life you're living today, then you need to change. But I want to tell you, I can't change you. But this book can. Jesus can met somebody once. He said, well, I tried that. It didn't work. I said, you can't try this. 
That's the difference between the Bible. You can't taste it, see if you like it, and decide it's going to be okay. It's a complete surrender of everything. And that really doesn't matter what Jesus does. It's going to be Jesus' plan, which is the best that could ever happen to you. Can we give the more earnest heed? Can we see Jesus? Can we consider who and what Jesus has done that our sufficiency, that our continuance is not of ourselves, but of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and I ask that you, the Holy Spirit, to be able to minister these things that are contained in your word. And Lord, that we would not leave here the way we came. Lord, we pray for those that may be sitting in this auditorium. Lord, I cannot see into hearts. And I'm so thankful that we have to let that rest in your almighty hand. But Lord, I would still pray if there be one person in this auditorium that's not saved. Or a person that thinks they're saved, but really isn't that... Lord, you'd shake them up a little bit today. You'd help them understand that they need Jesus to save them. Lord, we pray for those that are saved and have just been weighed down by the burdens and the frustrations and the temptations of this world. That we'd hide behind Jesus instead of trying to protect Him. Lord, that we would understand that You get joy out of showing us the changed lives that You make in our lives, the changes You make in our lives to bring glory to Your name. And Lord, we're thankful that it's both confidence and rejoicing that we can hold fast to. Not because of who we are, not because we have such a great grip, but because you already have hold of those things and we can rest in you. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us with that struggle and that you would prepare our church for this missions conference coming. Lord, we'd be able to see you do miraculous things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Brother Franz comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, now is the time to do so. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, would you allow someone to take this book, the Bible, and show you that you may know as we sing, would you join?